streaming across the Thames. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, where over the next hour or so, we'll be discussing the biggest football stories from the Thames Valley and beyond. I'm Will Taylor, and joining me tonight are regular co-hosts Ben Green and Ed Tolton. So strap in, as we bring you another episode of Extra Time. This week we talk a whirlwind at Reading that's seen many a change as well as some great results, while also delving into a disappointing run for Wickham as they remain winless in six. We'll also chat some good fortune for Maidenhead United as well as, of course, our offside opinions. Stay tuned for all that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time here on River Radio. And that's right, it's seven o'clock on a Wednesday night and there is nothing else that could possibly mean. As always, there's plenty to get stuck into this week with my two wonderful co-hosts that I mentioned. Um, And in due course, of course, um, and I'm extremely sort of looking forward to that. So I'm sure you are, Ed, as well. But I can't help but know it's it's a bit of a role switch for us tonight, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. It's nice to be be on the the other side and and feel that I can kind of be a little bit less objective and a little bit more subjective. It's nice to... (laughs) occasionally give you my opinion because curiously enough even when I'm presenting I do have one but uh, I try and stay very much in the in the lanes of the straight and narrow but tonight you'll be getting the lot the full undiluted Ed Tolton experience which to be perfectly honest with you is uh, they're not queuing they're not queuing around the block for it are they <laughs> is that not what that queue is outside? no, no, no okay, that's no. us waiting to get let into the studio yes it is yeah um, much is. um obviously we'll get on we'll get on to Wickham's woe shortly Ben um but it's been you, you were there last night it's been a pretty sort of shocking turnaround, hasn't it, really, recently? Yeah, I mean, just firstly, maybe it's somewhat of a, a changing of the guard yeah. uh, with you sat in that chair. Uh, but no, it's been... Careful. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, it's been a really, really bad run of form. Um, I, I noticed the club called it a blip. I'm not sure six games without a win is just a blip. Uh, I have to say I'm, I'm a very disgruntled and sort of deflated Wickham fan right now. That is interesting to what constitutes a blip. That's maybe a conversation for another day, isn't it? Because that's, that is, I wonder what is the, the sort of maxim. And obviously your team, Palace, playing tonight as well. Um, sort of one of those games where it's, it's, it looks okay, but you've got to be careful that you don't get sort of dragged into that relegation battle as, as a sort of fan of that club, haven't you? Well, I think we're going to talk about it in the, in the hot topic section, how this last weekend in the Premier League really blew the whole division wide open and you look at it now and there's so many games because in a way because Newcastle took 15 games to get a win if they win on Saturday they can go above Brentford and I think progressively that line of who is and isn't involved in the relegation conversation is getting higher and higher because Everton aren't in good form at the moment and Leeds are struggling for points and yeah I mean I'll be honest with you Palace going to, to Watford and facing Roy Hodgson genuinely I'm concerned because I have a lot of time for for the way in which he sets his teams up. They're very difficult to break down. Um, and we are just uh, probably a, a 15, 20 goal a season striker from from being a team that actually could be flirting with, you know, the sort of top top 10 
you know, positions. Um, and yeah, for some reason, it's just, it's not quite happening in that final third quite a lot of the time. You know, we've had a couple of disappointing draws. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm fearful tonight because Roy Hodgson's exactly the sort of person who could sock us in the jaw and, um, and yeah, get another three points for Watford. So fingers crossed. I will uh, quietly have one eye on, on, on the scoreline. <laughs> I was going to say, without wishing time away, mate, we will get out of this. Bang on eight o'clock so you can catch <laughs> as much of it as you can. Well, uh, we kick off tonight's show with the latest from Champions side Reading though um, the Royals have faced a sort of turbulent week to say the least where there was change at the top as manager Velko Panovic was replaced by Paul Ince in an interim capacity on Saturday evening the managerial hotspot wasn't the only thing that changed though as they managed back-to-back wins against Preston North End and Birmingham City 3-2 and 2-1 respectively I caught up with the Reading Chronicles Benji Nurick earlier today and started out by asking him exactly how important those last two results have been the, the nature of the game is that results dictate a lot. They dictate the mood. They obviously dictate the place in the table. And those two wins are absolutely massive. I mean, when you think about the previous eight or nine weeks before that, the team had picked up a total of one point against Derby and one point against Peterborough. And now to get six points over the course of four days, it just completely changes the complexion of the situation. And suddenly while relegation is still a possibility and something that still has to be considered and feared, it's a a lot more in Reading's hands than it was one week ago. And of course, on the other side, if I'm Derby County now, I'm now seeing a team that looks a little bit reinvigorated, new manager, obviously a couple of wins. It starts to look a lot less possible for them I think so it, it really is just a massive massive two two victories and they they had to work hard for them in the end but ultimately nobody really cares at this point in the season how they come they, they certainly won't care who they come it's interesting you mentioned the manager side of things as well obviously the interim appointment of Paul Ince um, has been made it was made pretty immediately as well he's brought in his own backroom staff do you think that's something that's been in the pipe, pipeline for a while um, it's, a, it's a good question. It, it, it was something that ha- did happen immediately. It was in the same statement as Panovich's departure, which is just so bizarre to me, but that's a whole separate question. Um, truly, it's it's hard to totally know. Um, Panovich offered his resignation originally more than a month before he... Uh, before he actually left, at least that's what um, a few people have told me. Um, So it seems like his exit was on the cards for a while. I'm not entirely sure what held it up. It seems like they rejected his resignation. And then after kind of, he, after kind of talking with him more and as obviously things got more and more toxic off the pitch, it appears they eventually kind of relented and almost let him leave. I, I think I've seen some people say that he was sacked and I don't believe that's true. I think the club would have preferred to keep him or at least would have been willing to keep him. I think it was very much sort of at least came from him that he wanted to leave because he just it was just not a healthy situation anymore for him at the club. And I think he felt that. And I think he felt that the, as, as was clear after the Peterborough game, that it had just become far too toxic. But it, it is an interesting question because Paul Ince in his first interview, he talked about sort of how the atmosphere against Coventry City was so fantastic and he would have loved to play in that game. And while he also said that he'd spent the last two days watching clips and watching uh, Reading play, that does make you wonder, was he actually at the Coventry game? Because that sounds like the kind of thing you'd say if you're actually there in person. Of course, the other side of it is he could have been there in person anyways, just watching his son, because obviously his son now plays for the team. So it would make sense to me if obviously a week before Panovic actually officially left 
a number of outlets, including the Reading Chronicle, had heard and reported that Panovich was leaving. And so my mind does wonder if it had been set to happen then, and then something delayed it, whether it was Paulins coming in, whether there was a hitch in that, whether the EFL had to check through it, because the EFL has to kind of be involved in almost every decision Reading make at this point. I don't have a firm answer, but I do wonder if it had been on the cards for a little bit longer than, uh, than, than it actually did happen. The other question, I guess, could be, were they just ready to give it to Michael Jilks, as everyone was kind of hearing? And then Paulins kind of got his way to the front and that's maybe why things ended up sort of taking a week longer than it had initially seemed it would but as as with most things in reddick unfortunately not a lot of clear answers and a lot of murky answers it certainly is the way with Reading. It certainly has been this season as well. It's interesting you mentioned as well, he did have the perfect excuse to go and watch them with his son playing for them, as you mentioned, who, who seems to be doing quite well as well. Can you judge him that much off that performance against Birmingham then? Or do you think it's a little bit too soon? Yeah, I think regardless of what the result would have been, it would be harsh to really judge him slash uh, the new tenure. I think when you start with a win, it makes a big difference. It's a lot easier for fans to buy in. It's a lot easier for players to buy in. It's a lot easier just to sort of have the mood be a lot more positive, which is so important when a new manager first comes in, especially one with the sort of question marks that Paul Lins naturally has by being out of the game for eight years and really having no real successes as a manager other than his first year at MK Dawn. So to start with a win, I think, is crucially important regardless of whether sort of you can actually judge him based on that win it just makes it so much easier for everyone to believe in his methods and I think a big element of Paulins and a big element of any time you make a managerial change is that management in pretty much every sport I think tends to go in cycles where at some point players just get tired of hearing from the same voice and get tired of the same methods and then they want a a complete sort of culture change a complete sort of shock to the system and Paunovic was very much a a friend, I think, to a lot of players. He was a very popular person, but in some ways I think he wasn't, I guess, harsh enough. He wasn't as enough of a, of a taskmaster. He wasn't disciplined enough. And Paul Lintz is, is completely the opposite. He's very much, you're going to do it 100% my way or you're not going to play. This is my way and you have to, you have to follow it. And an example of that is um, when, when Paunovic was in charge, there was kind of a loose time that players would have to arrive at the training ground roughly between sort of 9.30 and 10 was, was, was when players would have to show up. And under Paul Lintz, it's, you have to be there by 9.45. If you're a minute late, you're getting fined. And I don't believe fines were really a thing under Panovic, at least not, not heavily. And one of the first things Paul Lintz did was institute, a, I think, a whole set of, of, of a fine system. So it's that kind of thing where it's a completely different type of management to Panovic. I'm sure it will stop working at some point because that's how every management tenure goes when you're not either Sir Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger. That that uh, disciplinarian will 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 start to become tiring and grating on the players at some point. But I think for now it's it's the right kind of person because it's just the total opposite to Panovic. Um, but you know, it, to go with that, he's spoken about how he wants to make the team more disciplined, more defensively solid, and. I'm not totally honest. I, to be totally honest, I'm not sure I saw signs of that last night. I think there were a few times when Reading were far too open at the back. Birmingham had good chances that they couldn't take. But ultimately, three days in, you shouldn't really see the imprint of his of his tactics just yet. That would be kind of crazy. He's had like two training sessions or whatever. So just to get the win, I think, is is, is so important. 
I think you might be right. I mean, obviously, back to the football, there's a game against Blackpool on Saturday. That's a great chance for a third win on the spin, especially with Lucas Zhao hitting a purple patch in front of goal recently. How do you rate the Royals' chances at Bloomfield Braves? Yeah, I mean, I think on paper, Reading have a much better team fully fit than their position in the table. I mean, very few teams can call on a front four of John Swift, Junior Hoylet, Tomins, Lucas Zhao. So I think there's reason to be confident because they should be going into every game feeling like they can score goals. And when you can score goals, you can win always. The problem is at the back, and that remains a problem. They still leak goals, and they still look far too easy to, to beat. But that's obviously the thing that Paul Lins has, <clears throat> has already spoken about wanting to change. So I, I think there's no reason why they can't go into the game with confidence and belief because at this point, everything has, has kind of changed a little bit. It's a new manager, two wins on the bounce. Blackpool are a decent team, but not an amazing team. So yeah, why not? Why not? Exactly that. Thank you so much for joining me, Benji. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. That's Benji Nurick there from the Reading Chronicle. Very, very excitable, passionate person, which is really great for us to hear, giving us his thoughts on the recent upturn of form for the Royals. Putting it to you guys then, I'll I'll come to you first, Ed. Do you think sort of have have things suddenly out of nowhere, suddenly sort of turned a corner for Reading? Um, Or or is it a case of a, a great couple of results very much keep your feet on the ground? Um, I would say it would probably be the second one. And I imagine that's exactly what Paul Lintz will be saying in the dressing room. It's been crazy this season and the players have had an awful lot of noise in and around them to deal with things that are going on upstairs, whether or not they're getting on with the manager, etc. But a couple of good results have suddenly made that championship table, irrespective of the fact they are in the place above the drop zone, looking an awful lot healthier. They're now eight points clear of Derby. And let's face it, the way it was going, it was looking like potentially they could be in the bottom three and they would have been in the bottom three had they managed to lose to Peterborough. They kept that to a to a nil-nil draw and suddenly they're unbeaten in three. Um, but I do think it is one of those ones where you've just got to take each game as it comes. But if they can even get a, a small uh, new manager bounce working with Paul Ince, then that might well see them clear to staying in the championship this season, which is going to be massive for them. It's huge, isn't it? I mean, you t- you, Ed touched on it there, Ben. I mean, just how important sort of could that break in that rut of defeats be? And it is Paul Wince a, a very sensible appointment, which isn't something that, a common theme really for Reading, but is it, a, is it a very sensible sort of... I know he hasn't managed in a long time, but you know what you're getting with Paul Ince, don't you? Yeah, well, we, we spoke off air just, just then that, you know, Paul is a very respected man in football, whether he's had a great managerial career or not. He he demands respect. You know, he had such a good playing career that the teams he was at, the managers he played under. Um, and, and like Ed said, if they can get four or five games together, that could be enough. Um, obviously, Derby, you know, if you look at the league table, Derby are a much better side. They, <laughs> Without the points deduction, they would be mid-table, whereas Reading, without the points deduction, would probably be in and around the same place. Mm. So it's going to be hard because you're up against a side that ultimately are better really just you know the points were so much that Derby find themselves where they are Mm. Um, but look they've got a bit of a buffer I know Derby have a game in hand which you know if they win that it gets slightly closer but like Ed said you know Luke, I think another important thing as well is Luca Zhao got a couple goals other night if you can get him firing like he was last year you know couple wins together that that could be he enough scored at Preston as well didn't he he's looking like yeah. absolutely absolutely excellent I mean what, what what do you think do you think they'll have enough to stay up now I know we spoke about that gap being being fairly big do you think actually 
it is a bit much for, for Derby to, to bridge that gap between the two. I mean, I think we have to remember just how well, first and foremost, Derby have done, even yes. to get to yeah. where they are, because, you know, they're effectively, it's like the, the football equivalent of playing with your legs tied together, isn't it? <laughs> Having a 21-point deduction. I mean, they'd be basically mid-table. And Wayne Rooney's done a, a fantastic job. But I would imagine that Reading getting the couple of wins that they have done, when Derby were getting so, so close would deflate that Derby squad a fair bit. And it's interesting the way that Paul Lintz is managing this situation. On the one hand, he's coming in and he's instilling an element of discipline. He's making it very clear who's in charge. And that element of leadership, I think, has, has maybe been missing, perhaps, from the from the aura around the training ground for some time. Because in Paunovic's defence, the team have been somewhat rudderless because of what's going on upstairs as well. And, and that's a massive distraction. But Paul Lintz is, is coming in and, and laying down the law. But on the other hand, I've seen quotes from him saying, I can't quite believe that it's been this long since we got a home win. I can't quite believe that this squad who are this good are where they are. And there's a there's a touch of there's a touch of being being kind, but at the same time it's it's hard and fair. Mm. Um, and I think that, that element of leadership is going to be massively, massively important to them and, and hugely important in the situation that they find themselves in now. I'm I'm just looking at I've just noticed something on the league table as well. Now, Derby have such a superior goal difference to Reading. Okay. Reading are on minus twenty two, Derby are on minus two. Right. That is massive, isn't it? So it's a double edged sword though, because if you're Reading, you know you're not gonna catch them up in terms of goal difference yeah. so if you're winning a game say one or two no, you don't need to go and try and get three or four oh, oh let's try and sort out that goal difference it's a basically a two-horse race you know Barnsley are down Peterborough again one of the worst sides I've seen in recent years which gives me great satisfaction yeah I was going to say that, there's, the there's a slight there's uh, a slight <laughs> bias behind that one in here, mate, but. Uh, but yeah you know you know that you don't need to go and desperately try and get a few goals now, on the other hand, obviously, if they end on the same amount of points, Reading, unfortunately, w- will probably be down. Um, so it's not a case of if we can get to equal mm. points, are we going to stay up? Because um, Derby, like I said, a 20-goal difference. In, 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 it's, not you're not going to bridge that. It, but yeah. maybe that does make it easy in terms of, right, we can actually just try and hold on for a, a one to win. We can focus on the points, not necessarily trying to bridge, bridge the goal difference gap. I, th- I think that that's going to be key, isn't it? Well, the Royals will certainly be happy with the current form of the side over the last week or so. And they head to the seaside this weekend as they take on Neil Critchley's Blackpool at Bloomfield Road, a game we absolutely wish them the best in. On the women's side of Reading, they were, they were without a game this week, but they turned their attention to the fifth round of the FA Cup this weekend where they face West Ham United for a spot in the quarterfinals and a real chance of silverware this season. So we, of course, extend our best wishes to them also. Um, sort of sticking with Berkshire, another great bit of form uh, for, for a local club. Maidenhead United have sort of clambered themselves away from any uh, sort of relegation threat recently. Uh, that great form continued on Saturday night in front of the BT Sport cameras as well, where a Josh Kelly goal was enough to steal all three points from North London visitors Boreham Woods, who sit in the top four of the division and of course face Everton in the FA Cup's fifth round in just a couple of weeks' time. They were also in action last night where they faced Yeovil and despite going down 1-0 early doors, uh, Kane Ferdinand equalised just for half time to earn the Pines another solid point. Moving on to Maidenhead then, gents. They are still going strong. Um, but the way they're playing against this sort of these sort of top teams really is incredible. If they can keep this group together, how much confidence does that give them for next season, Ed? Well, you use the word there and it's the most important word, particularly for a club like Maidenhead who are part-time in a, in a league that has 21 full-time teams. It's if they can keep this squad together. Yeah. Because let's be told, 
totally honest. Obviously, they lost a couple of players in the summer and it has taken them until mid-season really to assemble a squad that is putting together a really, really strong run of form. And you just can't help but feel that if they can keep it together, then yeah, absolutely, that confidence is there because they've gone and stood toe-to-toe with the best teams in the league, all in relatively quick succession and absolutely come out ahead. I would be surprised if there weren't one or two teams looking at the likes of someone like Josh Kelly and mm. wondering whether or not, you know, I wouldn't mind him in my team, perhaps a little bit higher up the division. I, th- I think I said to Ben, didn't I, that I'm surprised there's not yeah. League Two teams not going with a blank checkbook <laughs> to make <Maidenhead laughs> to say, get me Josh Kelly, whatever it costs, because he's he's been that good for them this season, hasn't he? Exactly. But, you know, you quietly you quietly live in hope that, that actually perhaps the lesson about, you know, Danilo Orsi, who obviously went to Harrogate and has ended up back down on loan in this division. You might sit there and think, you know, why don't you stick with us for another season, see what we're able to build here. And if we can keep this squad together, hopefully you'd be well out of the relegation things and you never know quite where you where you would end up. I mean, you've got to remember, last season they were 13th and they lost big players and ultimately that's ended up in the circumstances they found themselves in in the first half of the season. But yeah, I think if they could keep this squad together, then uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say the sky's the limit, but certainly you feel that they could be very, very competitive in, in next year's competition. I mean, he's certainly going to be important, Josh Kelly. He's a local lad as well, which is always going to help the sort of draw of, of keeping him. Do you, do you think, Ben, that they're in a position where actually they, they can push on and, and next season just purely based on the results they're getting against these, these teams higher at the table? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like we said a couple of weeks ago that if a, a couple of wins, the relegation talk might be done. And, and if you look at the table, yeah, I, I don't think Weymouth are going to bridge a gap of 11 points or 10 points, whatever it is. Um, so the pressure's off Maidenhead now. They've basically got a free hit to the end of the season. Um, you know, they're only 11 points off a certain team that play in yellow. So they could even catch up. Talking. Far too many. Far too. You just said you can't bridge that gap then with, the other, with Weymouth. So why, why couldn't yeah. Maidenhead? That's well, when you've got two games in hand, which they do. <laughs> Well, like I said, it's a free hit, isn't it? So who knows? But come the end of the season, they could end 15, 16th. And, and how good would that be? I, I, I will be quitting River Radio if they pip us to the playoffs. That's what I would say. <laughs> by some miracle. Can I just, I mean, on behalf of the management, and if that's not River Radio's fault. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Oh, OK. Right, yeah. fair enough. I just Clap can't bear to hear the word Maidenhead if that happens. But <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? Like I said, that actually, realistically, they could be going toe-to-toe with the big dogs next season. Yeah, hundred percent. If they if they end the season strongly and, and manage to keep hold of of the players like Liam Kelly, then why can't they push on? You know, obviously there's always going to be the the challenge of League Two teams coming down and money at the top. But no, football's not all about money. It's not about the best having the best players. If you've got you know Wickham showed it for the past few years. If you've got that strong team ethic and and a, and a fairly good manager, um, you can go you can go anywhere. So. Yeah, I think the end of the season, they've got to have a good end to the season to give them the confidence going into next year. You don't want them to sort of sort of fall away and, and end maybe just that one place above the relegation zone, even if they're not in a rele- relegation battle. Um, you want them to end the season strongly so they can go into next year full of confidence and raring to go. I, th- I certainly think that will be the case, especially the way they've been performing recently. Well, as you mentioned, Maidenhead jump up to 19th in the National League, nine points clear of the bottom three with two games in hand and Weymouth at 21st. They could they take on 22nd place Kings Lynn away in Norfolk this weekend and we wish them the very best for that one also. Right, it's time for a short break, but stay tuned as we'll be chatting Wickham Wanderers next. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. 
You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio, our resident football show bringing you stories from across the Thames Valley. And up next is Wickham, who without a win in six league matches now, following an incredible five-all draw with Cheltenham on Saturday and a lost promotion chasing Wigan Athletic last night. We've also got Ben here, who is our Wickham expert, a scathing Ben Green, I think it's fair to say. Eight goals conceded across two games makes for pretty grim reading, Ben, especially with last night's result pushing you out the playoffs. Let's just ask this one first. What did you make of last night's and in, in, in the Cheltenham game as well? Uh, last night felt inevitable from the second half, the start of the second half onwards. You just felt as soon as Wigan got that equaliser, they would go and win the game. We showed no desire to actually get a second or third goal in that game. And, and you can't sit back and defend against a team like that for, for 90 minutes. We had about 23% possession. You can't win a game of football uh, with that limited amount of ball. Um, Cheltenham, on the other hand, that was just, <laughs> you know... An absolutely diabolical defensive performance. Quite possibly the worst I've from ever... From both teams. From yeah, <laughs> possibly the worst I've ever seen from a Wickham team. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the highlights, but I mean, the first goal, for example, was was, was actually hilarious to watch on the replay, you know. Um, not at the time. But no, no, sure. you know, people miss, miss kicking the ball and then not talking to one another, both heading the ball and then Alfie May lobbing the keeper. Oh, it was, you know... Yeah. That that to me was unacceptable, but um, I know we're gonna we're gonna find out why in, in just a minute. Well, let's, no, let's go into it then. Why why is it? What what, what is the? Well, we'll get into it like more specifically. But what actually is the problem? Because I got a pretty scathing voice note from you after <laughs> last night's game. I'll leave it to you to repeat the contents of it, mate. But it was it was pretty pretty sort of stubborn stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean. I remember telling you a couple of weeks ago that everything we did well against Oxford, we haven't done since. Mm. And that's still the case. You know, we've become so one dimensional, so route one, so reliant on two or three players. Um, and, and that's been a big problem. Teams maybe have worked us out. They know we like to get the ball wide. You know, we play a wing back, so we haven't got the, the greatest deal of pace. Um, and our plan B seems to be bring on another big man in Akin Fenwell when the big man plan isn't working. So that's a key problem. Another issue that we spoke about was the lack of investment in January. And I said it could be a problem and, it, and it, unfortunately it looks the case. It looks like other teams have strengthened and we're being left behind. And when players are going through dips in form like they are at the moment, you need players to come in. And because we haven't invested in the areas that I felt we needed to, now we're, now we're seeing... Now we're paying the price. I th- do you think that is a real sort of turning point for, for Wickham's sort of short-term future as a whole as well, in, in the sense that it, this this was sort of a... It sort of was a bit of a make-or-break window, wasn't it, for you guys, in the sense that you had to kick on to, to get promoted or you risk sort of, as you mentioned, falling behind. Do you think it's it's a massive opportunity missed? Is that how it feels on the terraces? Yeah, it, it feels like mixed messaging as well, because throughout the whole season, the board, the, the playing staff have all said, right, we want to establish ourselves as a championship team. The playoffs is the target, minimum target. And I said to you that playoffs is a realistic target. Um, and to go from where we were, you know, I, I'll never tell you guys outside before we come in. Mm. Uh, after 27 games, Wickham were on 52 points, one point ahead of Rotherham. Now after 33, Wickham are 17 points behind Rotherham. It's just mental. You know, that, that's an incredible swing. An yeah. Incredible swing. And any other manager in any other team in the top six would be under massive pressure. Now, obviously, it's a bit different at Wickham. It's, you know, similar to how Alex Ferguson was at United, how Arsene Wenger was at Arsenal. Gareth Ainsworth has done such a tremendous job that it's slightly different. You can't call Especially for Especially from, from the brink, wasn't it, as well? Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it, the, the point still stands. Signing has happened. It's not just a blip. Um, you know, we've got players not playing for four or five games, key players, and we don't know why. I think... 
there's always been an issue of a lack of communication between the club and the fans. I feel like, you know, people, people like Tafazoli, he didn't play for five games and then he came straight back in. So he, he couldn't have been injured. Because you, you don't chuck him back yeah, in. You don't throw, so yeah, so clearly something's happened there. We don't know why. Uh, Anthony Stewart wasn't playing, comes back in. We don't know why. Um, you know, there's several examples and fans can't help but feel frustrated because how, how we have fumbled this is beyond belief. We, we did so well against Oxford. We looked like a team that were tipped for promotion. I remember you saying, you know, you really do have the sense of a club and a, and a team that is going to get promoted. It was cohesive, wasn't it? Yeah. That was how thing, how yeah. can it go so wrong so quickly? And I don't know. Some of the, I mean, the thing now that you that you look at, and invariably what a lot of people look at, the fans, probably the players, the management as well, is that you were top of the league at one point and you're now outside of the playoffs. Now, that's a little bit misleading in terms of the outside the playoffs thing because actually you're level on points with Sheffield Wednesday, who are in eighth, and Sunderland, who are in the playoffs, are on 56. As a Plymouth Argyle in fifth, 56. So you're not like, it's not like you're suddenly miles off it. But at the same time, there has been a bit of a negative trajectory in terms of the results. And there were games in there that you hoped would be eminently winnable. And obviously the Cheltenham game was very much one of those. Cheltenham are 15th. So to draw five all, I mean, as much as I'm sure that was a very entertaining game to be at, you were Mm. one nil down very early on, recovered yourselves to be at 3-1. I mean, just talk us through the the atmosphere and the feeling within the ground when you get to the final game. Because let's face it, Wickham have had their fair share of last minute winners this season. Mm. Um, But I'm guessing that that felt quite the opposite. Yeah, there's been a strange atmosphere actually in recent weeks. It feels it's like a dark cloud over the club ever since the Oxford game. You know, the atmosphere has been poor. The players don't look like they're really fighting for the badge, which you haven't been able to say about a Wickham starting 11 for a long time. Um, the, the Cheltenham game was a, a stupid game. You know, we were 3-1 up, then 5-3 up. And both occasions, you just... Every time that Cheltenham came forward, you felt they were going to score. And, and at 5-3... And that's not typical of a Wickham no, side either, is it? But, but again, it was, it was a tactical thing where we took off a left-back and brought on Gareth McCleary at 5-3, a left-winger. You know, I didn't get that. And we, and we left Anthony Stewart on the bench. And it's that you, you mentioned though the lineup in itself was was bizarre. Wasn't yeah, it? so you had you had a left back and a right back playing in centre half. You had two wingers playing in centre mid. And when you think about that, that's no wonder we were getting cut apart because you have got players playing all over the place. David Wheeler was playing right back. When has he ever played right back in his career? So, you know, to me that just screams that something's going on, but we don't know exactly what because how you can go from where we were to going winless in six. That's not just a blip. I feel like there is more to it, but we. We don't know exactly what. I, I know you mentioned, obviously, he's almost sort of, I would, no one ever is in football, but he is almost, it feels, he feels a little bit untouchable, Gareth Ainsworth, doesn't he? Yeah. Do you think actually there is some elements of pressure on him somewhere where actually they're, they're, someone has to be held accountable for, for the results sort of tailing off as they did? And the buck sort of does normally stop with the manager, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, he, he puts on a brave face in interviews, which can actually be incredibly frustrating as a Wickham fan, you know, when, when he praises the opposition a lot and it's like, can we just admit that we were poor? Um, I'm sure that he's been he's been giving the players an earful the last few games. You can tell that he's you know it's not acceptable, and he knows that. Uh, but at the same time, it's a very tricky situation. You know, Sunderland were flying high. They were one of the best. They had one of the best forms over the calendar year out of anyone in the football league, and they lost a couple of games, lost six 0 and then they sacked their manager. You know, any other team, he, he would be under serious pressure. But it's the tricky one, isn't it? Because he's he's such a such an icon at Wickham. How do you? How do you even bring up that conversation of, okay, is he under pressure or should we be asking it's, questions? It's, it's a case as well though, isn't it? I think I think you'll probably agree that the grass isn't always greener, is it? Oh, 100%. And I think you'd be, you'd be 
foolish personally to 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 even contemplate the concept of getting rid of Gareth Ainsworth at this point because you have to be totally honest about where Wickham were um, mm-hmm. and where Wickham were not that long ago. We talked about it, I think, last week as, as recently as that, that to be totally honest with you, the season that Wickham went up, that was a surprise to everybody, not least of all Wickham, uh, to be to be quite honest with you. And essentially, it was a bit of a golden handshake because the odds were always stacked against them. The, the forecasts for Wickham staying up were appalling and they made such a great fist of it at the at the very end of the season. They actually ended up being a little bit unlucky. But realistically, I mean, Ben, something you said to uh, to us on the show a, a while ago has really stuck with me, which is actually this squad is, is so much better than the one that went up. But within the context and the confines of League One, you might well be in about the right place, actually, when you look at the teams that are above you. Teams like Sunderland, obviously, are infrastructurally so much bigger than League One. The mm-hmm. idea they're still down there is is baffling to, to a lot of to a lot of people, I think. But you look at the teams that are actually in League One, teams like Portsmouth, teams like Ipswich, who have had a bounce since McKenna came in. You know, Plymouth Argyle, MK, Rotherham have been yo-yoing between the Wednesday Championship and well. so forth. Yeah. There's a lot of big teams in there. And, and, and I think it could be fairly, fairly justifiably argued that seventh place in the league for Wickham is actually not a bad result. But the problem that you have, invariably, is that expectations are constantly adjusted depending on how well you were doing. You know, you look at, in the Premier League, a team like Leicester sitting in fourth for as long as they were Mm -hmm. and then saying, well, fifth place would have taken that at the start of the season. But to be totally honest, you were well in with a chance of fourth and you lost it. And I think that's the the problem, in a sense, that Wickham have got right now. It's that they've been in contention for so long. To fall out of the playoffs feels, you know, like a massive, massive problem. But to be totally honest, actually... You know they are still in contention for the playoffs. There's still enough games to turn this run around because they've still got to play Rotherham. But after that, I don't think you're playing a team in the top ten for the rest of the season, are you? But yeah, there are. I can see how it'd be incredibly frustrating for for certain decisions to just apparently be completely unexplained. Yeah, I, I think the the problem is is like you said, you made a very valid point. Wickham in seventh in League One is a perfectly acceptable position for Wickham Wanderers to be in. However, when the messaging from the club is such that playoffs is the aim championship is the aim you as a fan you have to raise your expectations mm. and so mm. when I look at people like and especially when I've, I've seen the games against Oxford Plymouth Sunderland uh, Rotherham away you know we're, we're not far we're not a level below these teams Wigan was the first game I felt okay they're a lot better than us is it consistency then is that what you think it boils down to it could be it could be you know there's certain players that are definitely having a, a bad run of form um for, you know, David Stockdale for example great first half of the season struggling a bit recently and there's no one really to come in to challenge him you know and and again you know another one he's not necessarily playing bad but for example Gareth McCleary he was so good at the start of the year and maybe maybe he's just sort of tailing off a little bit he is you know in his mid-30s there's no one to come in and replace him and I I think that's the problem one question I would I would throw at you is is if you actually look at the players that you've named there you know we're talking about guys that are you know, thir- I mean, David Stockdale's that's, 36. That's the problem. Gareth McCleary's 34, 35. You know, these these are guys, and therein lies the thing. That was a model that has been used so successfully elsewhere and has been very successful here. But if you look at the average age of the yeah. Wickham squad, it's quite it's quite high. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder the the extent to which that might be when players are out of form you're also you're, you're battling for the time yeah. as much as you are the fact that you're not playing terribly well um, and, and it's a curious one isn't it because I mean it has been incredibly successful in certain areas I mean the procurement of Sam Vokes for example someone yeah. who appeared to have lost his way and I've always felt that they have a slight Wimbledon mentality almost yeah. not just in the style of play which is quite direct but also in taking players that dare I say have been a bit unfashionable at other clubs mm-hmm. and really making them 
if you like become become a proper team and, and it's us against the rest of the world but but I think a lot of in, uh, sort of investment has gone into certainly the signing of players who've built up a portfolio of development players mm-hmm. but as you say on the first team side of things at the moment it does feel like you know if plan A isn't working we do plan A better if Sam Vokes isn't working we bring on Nakin Fenber who's yeah. 39 um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean when you say it like that and, and the problem is as well is you know to get out of this league you do have to take a chance you know you said a minute ago that Wickham when we got promoted a couple of years ago that was a one-off and it is to get out of this league you do have to take a risk in January you do have mm. to take a risk in the summer transfer window you can't just rely on the same squad of players because they've been good in the past um, ultimately anyone that achieves in this league does take a, a big risk whether that's financial or with a manager or good core group of players and it just feels like maybe we've I don't know if you agree, maybe we've taken the safe option. I mean, one thing I would say, and I think it's really, really important to remember when you're a club like Wickham, and if you look at the trajectory of Gareth Ainsworth's time in, uh, at the helm from where Wickham were, would you say that championship-wise, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to get this away really quickly because we <laughs> have to move on, but from the championship side, infrastructurally, do you think the club has improved and is on an even footing and an even keel? Because for me personally, I mean, my team is in the Premier League and, and every year I always think if you're not in the top six or in the big six, quite frankly, not getting relegated is a really good yeah. start. I think the lower down the football pyramid you go, because the finance doesn't seem to drip down in the way we would ideally like it to, you know, there are clubs who are who are going out of existence. And I think the infrastructural development that has gone at Wickham is really, really encouraging. So really, I think it's one of those where you've got to look at the whole picture but as fans of course we want our team to do well I, th- I think just building on that as well though Berry, of course they were a side that did it from, le- yeah. from League 2 to League 1 they spent Nicky Maynard was on a silly amount of money banging in 30 goals from League 2 is there an element of, of like Ed said just, just throwing caution to the wind it is, it is safe but it, it's safe in, a, in the right way don't you think yeah I mean I'm not saying we need to go and splash the cash in a, in a silly way but there was definitely things we could have done differently or not even taking a risk but just showing a bit more ambition you know, I feel that's what, as a fan, that's what you wanted to see. You wanted to see us get a couple because there's several good players in League One that I've looked at this year and I thought, they're a Wickham player. <laughs> Alfie May, last week, yeah. he would fit perfectly into the team. Cole Stockton, perfect Wickham striker. And I'm not saying we, we're going to go and spend the money on them, but there are several players out there in league Leagues One and Two. Um, it's just... <sighs> It's hard to see when you've been in such a good position, and you just you have to ask the question of why it's gone so wrong. Because it's like Ed said, it's not it's not just a blip. It, you know, you can't just go and not win in six games. Clearly, something's gone wrong. And as fans, you do have to start asking questions why and. You know, hopefully we can turn it around as, as soon as possible. Well, we certainly hope so. Wickham face Accrington Stanley on Saturday in a bid to reclaim their spot in the league's top seven. And we wish them the best of luck in doing so as they bid for an immediate return to the championship. That's the last of our coverage for our constituent clubs, though. And it's time to cast our eye further afield as we talk the biggest stories in the world of football. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some... Music, try this. The football show on River Radio. This is extra time. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Extra Time Live on River Radio. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at River Radio Live or send us an email at studio at river.radio. It's been an incredible weekend of Premier League football as we saw Newcastle grab a point away at top four hopefuls West Ham. Watford claw a hugely important win against Villa. Burnley shocked Brighton at the Amex and Luis, Luis Diaz even staffed for Liverpool as they breeze past Norwich 3-1. That was before even any of the real drama started either. A Harry Kane masterclass saw Spurs steal a, a win at the death away from City to blow the title race wide open and Sunday saw a cracker from Leeds and Manchester United where two goals in 24 seconds threatened to force Ralph Ragnick into yet another draw before Fred saved the day late on. Gentlemen, it was properly vintage Premier Did you try League and read football. all that in one breath? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that I enjoyed it. It yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. it was getting to a crescendo, like yeah. when you're filling a bottle of water and gradually I, 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 was, just, I was just hoping you'd closer sort of to the kick, top. kick in with some sort of opera at the end of it. But <laughs> um, it was properly vintage Premier League football though, wasn't it, this weekend? I honestly think that that is the best Premier League weekend we have seen for, for some time. It's all well and good to have massive, massive results. I mean, I remember I was working on Premier League football the weekend that, that Liverpool lost 7-2 to Aston Villa, which happened to be the same, I think, the same day that Manchester United got beaten 6-1 at home by yes, Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Loads of goals is, is great, but I think in terms of implications, we, we really did see the best of the Premier League this weekend because to be in the point we are where we're almost a, you know heading into March and to have the title race now wide open, the top four conversation still very relevant and relegation, no one's been cut adrift. I mean, yeah, some cracking fixtures, some great goals and, and some really interesting results. Well, you mentioned a few of them there. Let's get stuck into it. I mean, initially sort of that relegation race, bed. Mm-hmm. It, like, like Ed said, it's been blown wide open, hasn't it? Norwich looked done for. They're now in a position where they could. Newcastle, I think we, we've said on here before, it's going to be a tough ask for them. They've, they've sort of struck enough results together. You've got Brentford being sucked into it. Leeds look like a really sort of... They're, they're in a precarious position themselves. Even Crystal Palace, as we've mentioned, if they don't get the right result tonight, could be sort of staring down the barrel. It's, it's as, as sort of fans of lower league clubs especially, it's great to watch. No, I love a relegation battle. The, the relegation zone is always my favourite part of the Premier League. And this year, don't you just think... It, it, like you said, there's not a single team that you can count out yet. Everyone it's is showing the first fight. year. One of them's like they, they have to, There aren't really any teams that I don't think particularly deserve to go down the way they've they've played. Do you know what I mean? No, and, and like Norwich are giving it a go. They they were very brave in getting in Dean Smith as early as they did. And Burnley, what a win the other night. Three you know, nil. Veghorst. I mean, he is just going to blow we this league it. over. We called it. Yeah, I mean, we I'll, did. I'll, I'll interject there because I was at that game, Brighton Burnley, and I have to say honestly, Burnley were brilliant. They were brilliant and they were playing that style of, of football that Sean Dyche has talked about before in his press conferences, that, that concept of flexi football, which is getting the ball down and playing when you can. And when you can't, being a little bit more direct. And and I've got to say, the interchanges are passing for some of those goals. I mean, I think the third one, I mean, and the first one, fair course, what a goal that was. And he's a real presence on that pitch. And I've got to say, he was a, he was a class above. Bizarrely, I think he might actually be an upgrade on Chris Wood. Um, <laughs> great name, totally well, a great yeah. name for a striker as well. Yeah. Fair course. Yeah, it's it's the double the du- the double double U that throws you up a little bit. Also, that that that, that thrilling sort of burning result, nothing to do with the fact that you were a, a Crystal Palace fan watching. Yeah, oh, the hand on heart as a Crystal Palace fan, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> um, the funny thing, funny thing was, is that I actually don't take that rivalry terribly no. seriously. It's nice when it, it comes around, but I'm not immersed in it. Isn't as the same way as, as fans of, of of both sides in certain mm. quarters really are. But um, it was a really peculiar game because, to be totally honest, Brighton played really good football. And it was a complete clash of styles but as I say Burnley were were fantastic and 
I have to say that all of a sudden you sit there and, and think, well, how can they go down when they when they play this well? How can they go down? And Sean Dyche is going to be the, the be-all and end-all of them staying up, I honestly think. But like you say, look, I think Norwich are in with a puncher's chance um, because they do uh, and are picking up points. And I think even if they don't, they have got the right man in Dean Smith to potentially lead them back into the Premier League uh, if they go down to the Championship. Burnley, you've got Sean Dyche at the helm. Watford, you've got Roy Hodgson, who's a bit of a survival specialist. Newcastle are picking up points. If they if they now beat Brentford, the team they've got on Saturday, they go above them. Everton are sucked into the conversation. Yeah, you get up as high as Palace on 27 points, and it's by no means guaranteed. I don't think, I don't even know 40 points is going to do it the way it's going. <laughs> like, which the classic survival aim, isn't it? 40 points. I mean, it, it's mental, isn't it? it it's, it's just so tight on that. I mean, Eddie Howe, though, it's worth commending the job he's done at Newcastle, isn't it? I think that's, was it, was it four wins on the spin and then they, they drew to West Ham? It's, it makes for great reading. Unbeaten in six, three yeah. wins, three draws. It's just incredible, really, with the, you can you consider how bad that team was when he came in. I mean, I mean, it, I, I didn't think Steve Bruce was doing too bad a job there, really. And I know they've brought players in, but those signings have been awfully shrewd as well, haven't they? They have been, yes. The loss of Kieran Trippier could be quite hmm. quite decisive, I think, because he wasn't only scoring goals, but he also... I mean, he had the captain's armband on. Hmm. He's not been there very long. I mean, he <laughs> was a games. real leader. Yeah. And, you're, and you're quite right, because Eddie Howe had to effectively peel Newcastle up off the floor. They had been so difficult. They won one game in their opening 15. Um, and yeah, he's done, a, he's done a really good job so far, but the job's not over, is it? And, and no. therein lies the thing. I mean, I look at the form book at the moment. Everton, one, one win in the last five... Um, and you know you do wonder to be totally honest whether Frank Lampard's the man when you're in a, a relegation battle yeah, I did ben, say ben, the jury's yeah. out I did say the jury's out I, I think knew what, he was going to go for I was going to say yeah. I think what makes it so exciting as well is it's those teams sort of middle to lower mid table that are actually the ones you're concerned for they'd you know, normally be okay in this situation yeah you're looking at they? Brentford yeah. and, and Leeds especially and you think I I, I would back don't those. worry though because Bielsa invented football so yeah. don't worry because he, he he's he's the king of everything despite the fact he can't string fifty goals together. conceded yeah well no but don't, but he invented football mate so <laughs> you know don't worry about it I'm sensing you're not not really a Bielsa well, guy he's just the most it's funny because I'm not sure he's a Will Taylor fella no, to be truthful <laughs> well he won't be after this he's the most overrated manager in the world by quite a stretch but we can save that for a little bit later if you want um, but obviously like, like you said they, they, they're, in, they're in real danger of being sucked into it aren't they yeah and, and that's like I said that's what makes it so exciting is you look at the teams in the bottom three and you, I, I fancy them to pick up wins before Leeds and, and Brentford do I mean especially Brentford as well six games without it's a win it's really dipped off for them hasn't it yeah, the loss such of a David start, Ray has been huge for them as well yeah and, and you, you are a bit concerned for them I think there's a lack of quality in their squad I know they've got in Ericsson and they've got a few good players but overall the squad is lacking um, and again Everton <laughs> one win in six I think Newcastle will be okay I really do yeah, I, I think they've got it yeah. sussed Eddie Howe seems to have found the right formula ultimately I think Norwich maybe still won't have enough mm. but I'm looking at the likes of Burnley and especially Watford is a weird one because Watford goes six games you know, six defeats in a row and then they'll pick up a win. Mm. You know, they've won five games this year. Burnley have only won two. So, you know, it's just a case of Watford, they either win or lose. Yeah. <laughs> They're not drawing many games. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think it, from 14th to 20th, I, I couldn't tell you who's going down. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely bang on. I mean, the, the top four race has been blown wide open as well, hasn't it? With, with Spurs' incredible result. Harry Kane absolutely back to his best, which is just amazing to see as well. Obviously, there's, there's, uh, there were a lot of teams that sort of got 
got some good results. West Ham slipping out of it. That's I, I don't think I can remember really a top four race going quite this far down either, is it? Because there's four or five teams there who you think could, could trouble them. Well, what's really blown this open is is the amount of cancellations there yeah. were, particularly in the winter, in the earlier winter months due to COVID. So you look at the table as it stands. Manchester United are in fourth with 46 points. They're four points ahead of West Ham who have also played 26 games. Go down to Arsenal. Arsenal have got three games in hand and they're only four points behind. Wolves have got two games in hand. They're only six points behind. If they won both of those games, they're level on points with Manchester United. Spurs aren't totally out of this. 24 games played, 40 points, six points behind Manchester United. So actually, you really look at it and it's only when you get to Brighton in ninth who are way behind on 33 Mm. points. Any of those teams could finish in the top four. And I honestly think it is great for the league to see teams like West Ham and Wolves up there mixing it mm. with a younger Arsenal side and a Manchester United team who are, who are struggling to, to really assert their identity. Fourth to ninth, that's mental, mm. isn't it? Just how, how wide open that is. And realistically, you could see, it, it wouldn't shock you if Spurs went on and got it, would it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's what you want. You know what I mean? You want, like, in the relegation battle, there's six or seven teams involved, and, and that's what you want in the top four. You want five or six teams who can get that fourth spot. And then, then you get the Europa League excitement as well. So <laughs> Yeah, David, you haven't even factored that in. Yeah, it, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, there's so many teams there. United, everyone keeps banging the drum about how bad they are and how bad they're doing, but they're, I think a goal has just gone yeah, in. Yeah, I, I think I've done. I, don't, I, I, I don't know how Ed's managed to stifle that scream, but, you know. I'm very level-headed, as you know, but according to three different apps that tell me when a goal's gone in, John, Philippe Mateta has put Crystal Palace ahead by a goal to nil at Watford. Wow. Congratulations, mate. Thank you. I, I mean, I didn't really do anything. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. But nonetheless, yeah. I, I'm still very pleased. And of course, the other thing, you mentioned that game about uh, about how Tottenham, you know, right at the death there, got that win over Manchester City, is that the title race is now wide open mm. as well because Liverpool are uh, a, a game a game behind. They played 25, City have played 26. If they won that game in hands, they'd be only three points behind and they still have to go to the Etihad. And we were talking about it what outside. Game? Do you That's remember that point. game when they went to the it's Etihad? wasn't it and it was and I mean what a fantastic game of football that was as I say it's been a um, oh good it's 1-1 one, one. Um, <laughs> absolutely unbelievable Moose Sissoko 18 minutes 1-1 one, one. fantastic how long did that you last? love to see it 3 uh, minutes 3 minutes uh, um, not in terms of when that's I told leads, you we were ahead that's <laughs> Absolutely baffling. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. What's going on? Vieira out. No. Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, the title race has been blown wide open, not least by that equaliser for Watford. Um, but in all seriousness, you sit there and think, goodness, after Manchester City was so far ahead, all of a sudden it looks like we could be in for a really intriguing title. Yeah, and I think they're, they're going to, they've got, obviously they've got to go to the ETA and that, that repeat of that fixture in any capacity. I think what goes under, under, sort of under the radar that day is they scored an incredible goal. Mm. where the passing I think it was Robertson ended up squaring it to Firmino and it was just absolutely something like 33 passes oh, it, it was ridiculous and it was it's, we're speaking about vintage Premier League that game is now the epitome of Premier League football isn't it and for it, to, for it to actually have something hopefully riding on it I think it's just absolutely massive I mean do you think City will probably still have too much Ben or do you think it's, it's, it's it actually does hang in the balance no I think it's up for the balance I really do that, that game for me could decide the title you know if, if Liverpool win that game and they go level on points I think the, the mentality is going to shift, isn't it? You know, Man City looks so dominant, so comfortable, and then the last you know, few games they've got a draw, they've they've lost, and Liverpool haven't have won six in a row. So I think the signing of Luis Diaz has been a, given them a big He's boost. Been brilliant, isn't he? You know, have City really 
invested in that striker that they needed. No. And they missed it again on, yeah. on Saturday night, It's, it's been a common issue for them and, and maybe it will come back and bite them. Maybe it will. We've said all season that they don't need a striker, but maybe that lack of a front, front yeah. man will actually be the difference. On that though, how good is it to see Harry Kane backfire and doing what he does best? Because that was a vintage Harry Kane performance, wasn't it? I mean, the thing about it is you do want to see the best players in the Premier League playing their best football. And and he absolutely is one of them. He's, you know, probably the best number nine, I think, that there has been in the Premier League since Alan Shearer, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and in terms of the consistency as well, he's a very different player. One from, season wonder, um, I think they called him, didn't they? Yeah. Absolutely, they did. Yeah, but uh, he's a very different times, yeah. He's a very different player from from someone like a Thierry Henry very yeah. different player but to me he's in that that sheer mould Definitely. and you want to see him scoring goals and and you know you I think in that regard you, you're right it has been a long time um, and it does make the, the, the top four race hot up I mean it's interesting on the question you asked Ben before about whether or not this is you know still advantage City I'd argue that it was because I mean I'm looking at the fixtures here City's next game is away at Everton You'd back them in that one. They've got Peterborough in the fifth round. They've got Manchester United at home, Manchester Derby. You'd probably anticipate they would they would have the upper hand there. They've got mm. Sporting Lisbon at home. They're 5-0 up in that game. They've got Palace away. Palace, are a, bit of go, a, mate, yeah. Palace are a bit of a bogey team <laughs> for City, but seemingly at the Etihad. They've never had a problem dispatching us at Sellers Park. Yeah. They've then got Brighton, and then they're away at Burnley. Then it's Liverpool. I think there's enough time for them to rekindle that momentum. But if they do, and you have those two teams going head to head in good form it was, it was 98 points wasn't it that Liverpool failed mm. to win the league with that season incredible because that because City had 99 yeah, I mean that's mental. an incredible an incredible scenario but you know what the league will be all the better for it and that's the 10th of April as well so <sighs> so late as well so late in the season how many more games are left after that it can't be many can it, it won't be it no. won't be many at all I think there'll be another maybe six games that's mental that after could be that. how monumental it's going to I think it would decide and that's the league. one thing yeah. that is the one thing you could say about that game isn't it you could say that it just came a little bit too early that previous one because it was in yeah. the January yeah, um, yeah, course, yeah, and it did prove decisive it, but nonetheless it was in hindsight it was very de- decisive wasn't it but at the time it didn't feel like massively whereas no. that game will feel like regardless it's it's going to go mental um, we really could chat about the beauty of the Premier League um, all night and that isn't an opinion that will roll too many uh, I think we should change that shall we it's Offside Opinions up next Across the Thames Valley One more time Across the Thames Valley This This is River Radio Well now for some pop music try this The Football Show on River Radio this is Extra Time. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio and it's time for my favourite feature of the evening. It's, of course, Offside Opinion. This will see one of us submit a football thought, footballing thought that goes against the grain for many people before attempting to justify it whilst under fire from the rest of the panel. This week, it's, of course, my turn. It's, it's my segment, essentially, this, isn't it? To, uh, <laughs> to, to offer up a subject and I've turned to a team um, and a league close to my heart and perhaps some of the listeners here as well for inspiration. Without further ado, my unpopular opinion is that initially, I'll, I'll preface it with this statement the, the treatment the National League gets from the rest of the football English footballing period is nothing short of a disgrace and the National League should 100% represent a, represent a League 3 and be included in the Football League structure I mean you have to draw the line somewhere though surely I mean, if you say it has to be included within the league structure, then doesn't the league below that just become the National League for all intents and purposes? But, right, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but the National League was very much bridge, bridging a gap between professional and semi-professional football. 
that's what it was and that's that's what it was there for I, I think that's a fair sort of assessment um but yet that's very much not the case anymore you like we've said this before you look at the top 10 teams in the national league all professional outfits spending a serious amount of money trying to get out of the league i think i think maidenhead remain one of maidenhead and kings lynn who and kings lynn sort of doomed to, to relegation and weymouth as well remain one of i think maybe two two or three teams in the National League that, that are semi-pro. If you're looking at the other 20 teams being professional teams that are able to throw a good chunk of money at being at it, like I said, you could go you could go for the, the 12 teams, I reckon you could name in the National League, that could easily, that are professional and could play in the Football League without a stretch. You look at the promotion and relegation record. How many teams that go up to League 2 get relegated back down to the conference? It's such a rare thing to happen. But yet... It's treated as if it's, it's it, this. This sort of came because I was I was sort of going I was sort of asking people about this and and people who who have a good knowledge of Premier League football and stuff. You ask them about the National League and they go, "Oh, it's pub football. It's Sunday League football." Do you know what? they don't acknowledge it as as they would League Two? When in reality, the, the gap is pretty much non-existent. There, I mean, there is a gap, you know, and and I think the fact there's the only two teams can go up is also a good thing. You know, it should be hard to become one of England's top four but, but, but then but, but by teams going up and getting like we say it like I said the teams that are going up aren't getting relegated back down it's it's not where it's a constant shift of, of yeah you say that but you know there's no if you come down as a league two side you, you don't just walk the league because there's 10 semi-professional teams you know teams come down they struggle but that's how hard that's what the hard league that's how hard the and league that's is how though, it should be it? you know at the end of the day the national league gets more coverage on tv than league two does but that's but that well that's very much down to broadcasting rights. There is but it does, level and it, it gets you know it gets far more exposure than League One. I would argue if if Sky had the coverage to League Two and the they National do. League, they, no, sorry, if BT had the coverage to the National League and League Two, they would cover League Two games ahead of National League. Of course they would. Well, there we go. Then. Like, that's, <laughs> but that's, 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 but that's the, the, so the coverage is, argument. You still do you still do get a lot of coverage. You know, the amount of every week there's a National League team game on. Um, what I would say is, I think Ed made a very good point. Is if you make the National League the division three then what happens to national league north national league south do well, they that, then... that stays as it is and it's the league below and then there's a that exactly but how there's the promotion... such a massive jump from the national league south but that's exactly no but this, this right there's so this is it jump. this is what the jump used to be to the to the football league it used to be this huge jump that teams couldn't bridge the gap but aren't people aren't investors investing internationally because it's easier to than leagues, leagues one and two well that well, it could be it could be an argument why why ryan reynolds has done it absolutely yeah. 100 but if people want to do it, people are going to do it regardless. And there's enough, like I said, 20 out of the 23 teams in the National League this season are professional. I mean, the question that I would have with this is, is it something clearly that you feel quite passionate about? And I say that in the sense that you, you're you a supporter of It's not a just to get talking national, either, a National League. <laughs> You've done a really good job at it, haven't you, yeah. in the last seven <laughs> years? All right, Ben. To be <laughs> fair, that the, the easiest way you're going to get in. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, as somebody who supports a Premier League side, like what difference feasibly would it actually tangibly make do you think well, am you, I missing something you've in spoke, that you've spoke about the, because the, I'm not disputing the fact because no. I'm a Premier League fan I've been down to Maidenhead and that is a cracking standard of football mm. to play at that level you have to be really really good mm. and I mean really good and it's no surprise to me whatsoever that a lot of the guys that are in the Maidenhead team who are one of the three semi-professional teams at National League level have had professional contracts because you have to be that good to even play at that level tangibly what am I missing here what would it mean aside of the respect element 
which I understand. I, must think, well, I think the respect element is probably the biggest element of it, to be completely honest. But no, it's a fair comment. The drip down effect that you're getting is absolutely incomparable from what League Two teams are getting, which I understand we've already said isn't much, as much as we'd like it to be. The National League level is even worse. We spoke to Ollie Bayliss when the, f- the show very first started out, and the arguments over funding going to the FA and the National League compared to what the EFL has is a completely different ballgame. And I'm not saying the EFL is perfect, because I've, I've been very vocal on that before, and it's, it's not something I'd be thrilled to join but it's it's a damn sight better than where we are now um also I, the, the commercial element is is completely different and although you mentioned bt cover so much they don't pay an awful lot for that privilege uh, compared to the, the drip down effect that comes from sky's overall coverage of the efl um with whether teams are shown or not so would you anticipate then that more money would be available because i mean in, in that circumstance you might argue that teams would benefit less from Sky's coverage because they would be sharing it between more clubs. Sky aren't going to pay more money for for you know if you like including the national league no. as as a new league it's yeah. going to be because no, ultimately no, I know what you're saying, it's like you say but it's like you say BT don't pay a lot for national league football but what's the demand to watch national league football on on television realistically it's reflected in the demand and I think mm. there's and not going to suddenly TV, be a, a massive more demand you know Sky aren't going to sell more set top boxes because loads of people who are watching the national league you know I think the thing about the national league is because it is a lot of local clubs it's a lot of local fans if you want to watch your team you go you go to the club in in a lot of cases whereas I think you know the higher up the leagues you go I mean when we were doing stuff at at Wickham not too long ago we had fans on the pitch from Blackpool I mean don't get me wrong that was anomalous there's no there's you know no dispute in that (laughs) no dispute in that whatsoever but the idea that you would come from Blackpool to watch High Wickham and the reason that this this young lad was a fan was because of back in Fenway it's the same at our level though do you know what I mean but can't you say at any league 3,000 Wrexham fans going to Chesterfield yesterday it's mental it's a Tuesday night can't, can't you say in any division that the top sides could could hold their own in the division above, you know. No, um, but there's, there's not just there, there's holding you. Well, you look at Rotherham; they go up to the championship every year and get relegated straight back. Yeah, but Rotherham, Rotherham's a tricky one because they've had a mixture of mismanagement and not getting the right players in. But there's a massive jump between League One and the Conference, for example. There's right. a huge jump between League Two. Anyway, we really could do this all night, but we're roughly. <laughs> we'll continue this in the pub round the if corner. Ever, if ever there was a debate that was going to carry on beyond the confines <laughs> of this show's airtime, it That's is this it. one. It's this one. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to be joined by you, even if I completely, completely disagree with what you're both saying. But thank you very much, Ed, for joining us. Just in in the interest of, of finding the debate, you bang offside with yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in line. What do you reckon, Ben? Is it all right? No, I agree with Ed. Offside. There's no need for VR.